The following podcast is brought to you by the Ebb Tide Treatment Center. Many people wrestle with addiction. You don't have to. Reach out to the Ebb Tide Treatment Center, where they wish to empower each individual encountered with the support, hope, and tools required for long-term sobriety. Pride themselves on providing the best possible treatment experience for you and your loved ones based on unique needs. They're committed to breaking the stigma that plagues those suffering with addiction and their families by educating and bringing awareness to the community. The Ebb Tide Treatment Center provides individual and group therapy, multiple recovery pathways for support, evidence-based clinical support, integrated aftercare social reintegration, personalized treatment planning, program addressing whole life health and Vivitrol program all available. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, reach out to them at ebbtidetc.com or call 844 430 Four three five seven. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to AIW's The Card is Going to Change. As usual, before we get to our show, which we have a very special guest for you on this week's episode, we have to give that wonderful, obligatory shout-out to our sponsors. Uh, thanks to Angelo's Pizza, who takes care of us at all of our live events at Mount Carmel and, of course, feeds us while we record the show. So make sure you visit Angelo's and try some of their award-winning pizza on Madison Avenue in Lakewood, Ohio. And of course, thanks to Smart Mark Video, who records all of our shows and gets them out to you so you can download them on an MP4 digital stream or purchase them on DVD. Head to smartmarkvideo.com and check out all of the past and current AIW shows there for you. And as always, lastly, we want to thank Jack Prince, who takes care of all of our printing needs, whether you have graphic designs that you need made, you have banners you want, business cards, anything that you can think of, uh, apparel, literally anything under the sun, head to jackprince.com. They'll take care of that for you. And once again, that is jackprince.com. J-A-K-Prince.com. That's right. That voice you heard right there is none other than the man known as Glacier. He is joining us today, uh, as well as, of course, owner John Thorne, always here. Excited for blood to run cold. <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Steve Guy. I am your moderator of sorts here on this wonderful ride that we call The Card is Going to Change. So we're recording this right now, I guess I should say. Typically, we're in a small little apartment, one right. of ours. We're in a gigantic we hotel are, conference room. We have a huge hotel conference <laughs> room right now where Glacier is staying. And uh, I, don't, I feel special. Yeah, it's nice. This is a ni nice room we got here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. nice and quiet. <laughs> yeah. So is I, it cool enough for you? It's cool enough, yeah. yeah and I appreciate you guys giving me the microphone <laughs> with the blue cover on yeah, it. Yeah, that's so, right, man. Yeah. So uh, I guess we're just going to get right into it. I, as I learned, and I think everyone, I, there's this big misconception about you is I always thought that you were just like this martial arts guy that just showed up at the power plant one day, and they're just like, oh, yeah, of course, you're going to be Glacier. Uh, <laughs> right. I guess that was just my ignorance or everybody's ignorance. I never took the time to actually look into 
how you got into wrestling until we started talking last night. And that is not how you got into wrestling. You actually broke in in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Actually, when I was uh, you know, finishing up college, I was playing college football down in uh, Valdosta, Georgia, for Valdosta State University. And uh, that was um, in 86. And so in April of 86 is when I officially broke in. And... Um, uh, and I wrestled for 10 years, had uh, built, a, I feel like, a great name for myself, especially in the southeast. Uh, traveled back and forth, uh, wrestled in Japan some. But, uh, but that was before the Internet, you know, so, right. uh, so it was a lot harder to, to, to get your name out there. And so, um, uh, and of course, uh, Dusty, Dusty Rose was one of my mentors. And it was funny, you know, years later after, uh, you know, Dusty and I became friends, you know, he revealed to me that, that he thought I was a power plant guy. He thought I just came in, you know, they, they found me and said, Hey, we're going to make you this glacier. I think that's what everybody thought it, you know, over the years. Um, so, you know, you start in the eighties and then how do you wind up? You know, I look you up on YouTube last night, and I see you wrestling the Great Muda in, like, 1990. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't think anybody has any idea that that even happened. Yeah, yeah. that was that, I mean, that was WCW before you yeah, were like, even showing up as Glacier. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is that's one of the great things about wrestling. We, we were, you know, doing a seminar last night. It's one of the things I was telling the, the, the attendees at the seminar is one of the great things about wrestling is wrestling will uh, emphasize to you what they want you to remember and what they don't want you to remember. They'll do their best to make sure you don't. And when back then I was very fortunate to come in uh, at the end of the territory system and really at the end of the uh, um, that era when you had when you we still had the faceless opponents which are you know commonly called enhancement talent or jobbers uh, you know that was the classic term back in the day. Uh, I really hate that that role is not around anymore because it was such a vital role. It got had obviously gave me an opportunity to wrestle with some of the biggest names in the business. And really, my job was to go out there and listen and not mess up, you know. And so, <laughs> and um, but yeah, you know, and, and I have to thank Tommy Rich, uh, Wildfire Tommy Rich. He he saw me on an independent show. I think it was like my second year. I broke in in '86, and I, I think I went. Well, maybe about third year. It was 89, summer of 89, I think. And um, I was a school teacher, so I had my summers off. So it worked great for me, you know, to be able to go up there and do that. And uh, my first, you know, job match ever was against uh, Butch Reed in Albany, Georgia, in Albany Civic Center. And uh, and I thought it was going to be my last because, you know, someone the size of Butch Reed, it was very intimidating. <laughs> and, uh, right. You know, and yeah. uh, it was really my first introduction into how a real pro performs in the ring and uh and so from there I, I i didn't mess up so they invited me to come to center stage to the saturday night tapings at the time this was before nitro obviously and um and my one my, my first match was with gary hart and the great muda and wow. um yeah and, and tommy young refereeing and um and, and I, I eventually got booked more with with muda because once again i i I did a pretty good job of listening and not messing up. <laughs> yeah, so like you guys did like house show matches and stuff. Like yeah, that. yeah, and, and and there's a couple of them that are on YouTube. Uh, I wish there were more. I wish I right. had more of them. But uh, those two were were great matches. I mean, I I wrestled Mood on a uh, a second one. We were in the. Uh, uh, University of South Carolina, Columbia, the big basketball arena, and this was when Muda and Sting were building to the Dragon Shy match, which was a big, supposed to be a big match back then. And you know, so even though I'm out there and as the, you know, like I said, kind of the faceless opponent, uh, you know, Sting and Eddie Gilbert come down the ringside to help, you know, you know, move along the angle of what was going on. So I That's mean, I was, insane. yeah, I was thrown in the middle of all that stuff, and you know, I, I you know, it was. Uh, I didn't appreciate it as I appreciate it at the time, but as I get older, I realize how really fortunate like, I was. And, and how big, spot. like how big of a deal that you know to just yeah, be a part yeah. of that little piece of history. Just to be a part, yeah, just to be out there. So, so, what made you decide to to get into the business? 
Uh, you know, um, and I was telling the, the atten- attendees at the seminar that last night is that um, one of the things that I feel like is a very important thing for anybody getting the rest of businesses. You got to know specifically why you're doing this. You know, a lot of people get into it and they just go, "Oh, I watched as a kid. I think this might be fun," and they just kind of, you know, blindly, you know, try to get a career out of wrestling somehow. And um, luckily, the guy who trained me, a guy named Fred Avery, a uh, very knowledgeable guy, very good amateur wrestler, even though he wrestled as a big burly, you know, kind of biker dude. Um, <clears throat> He's the one that offered to train me. Back then, there weren't really wrestling schools. There right. weren't any I knew of. And um, I actually didn't uh, – I didn't think I could do it at first. And he he said – I told him, I said, I, didn't, I don't think I'm tough enough to do this. I, I knew – I was watching guys like Arn and Tully, and I was like, I, you know, I don't know if I want to get in the ring with those guys. <laughs> you know? and so, uh, Did you grow up a fan? A big fan. Yeah, okay. I grew up in Brunswick, Georgia, which is right on the Georgia-Florida line, just about an hour above Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. And back then, uh, Florida – Championship wrestling from Florida was huge. Georgia championship wrestling was huge. So even though it was still the three channel days, TBS was just coming you know, around. And <clears throat> so we got to watch Georgia championship wrestling on TBS. And then Saturdays, usually I think it was around 11 a.m., uh, you know, the Florida wrestling would come on. So and then Wednesday nights or Thursday nights, one day they had it you know, during the week. So my dad would take me and my twin brother to go watch wrestling. And when we got old enough to drive, just my high school buddies, we would drive down and go. And we got thrown out one time because my brother threw something in the <laughs> ring. But, uh, but yes. Yeah, so um, I was a huge fan. I mean, my two my two idols as as outside great parents, thank God. And um, but my my two heroes were Dusty Rhodes and Evil Knievel. And if you're a, a kid of the '70s, that's right. kind of who you Those looked up to. Heroes, yeah, that's amazing. I, I like uh, one of your things that you say. You know, you've been wrestling for 30 plus years now, and one of the things that has kept you in the business, and it's kind of ironic, I think, because <laughs> I feel like it's taken a lot of guys out of the business. Is you always say you got a lot of work because you're really good at bumping. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, uh, and and that's something I learned early on, you know, is that, uh, that I seem to be able to do that pretty well, and uh, and I don't mind doing it. I'm very big on making sure it makes sense. So if, if because I, I'm a firm believer, you only have so many of those in you, no matter yeah. who you are, and. Um, uh, but I, and and I studied the ones who I thought did it really well, even before I really knew. Uh, the mechanics of it. Uh, one of the people that as soon as I got in the business and I started to understand, you know, how this business works and, and as a, a wrestler, what you need to learn to, to, to separate yourself from the pack, uh, I watched Brad Armstrong. And if you go back and watch Brad Armstrong, I mean, I can't, I, I've tried, I can't find a, a video match of Brad that was a bad match. Right. I mean, he was always a He's great, amazing. Bump. and he yeah. just, and he would do this thing that he would call a double bump where he would, he would, when he took the bump, he would bounce one more time. And I asked him to, kind of share with me how he did that and once he did that uh thank god i, I kind of learned it not near as good as him but it, it, it kind of separated me from the pack i i took a lot of pride in making everything mean something you know and, and i think a lot of people could learn that because it's 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 a lost art i think these days and, <laughs> so. I, and I think it's important for you to kind of share these stories because like i said people remember the glacier days you know what i mean yeah. people don't under i don't think people realize that you know you were grinding it out on the road for, yeah you know for almost 10 years before that even happened. Yeah, really. Um, uh, right at, I mean, I, I broke in in, in January. Of, uh, I broke in, in in April of 86. I signed my deal in January of 96. So right at 10 years. Right. That's that's crazy. Now, another thing you told me last night that I also had no idea about is you find your way in UWFI. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, how does that come together for you? You know, just being a guy that's working, you know, kind of territory, sm- smaller territory shows. 
you know, it's it, it actually actually um, once again it happened. One of the things that uh, whenever I do seminars, I always say that one of the, the most meaningful quotes that I got from one of my college coaches that has stuck with me through the years is, "It's not always what you know, and it's not always who you know. It's who's willing to say they know you, who's willing to put their name out there for you, their reputation on the line, who's willing to take a chance because they see something in you, maybe your work ethic, your ability, whatever." Um, and there was a, a manager that used, was in Memphis for years, um, big heavyset guy named Ronnie P. Gossett. And um, he worked on a lot of the Peach State Championship wrestling shows with us. Um, he lived around the Nashville area. And somehow he was connected with one of the people in charge of scouting American talent from UWF. I don't remember exactly how they were connected. but um, And Ronnie knew of my martial arts background. And ironically, I didn't do a lot of the martial arts in the ring early on because it, you know, is something that intimidated a lot of people. Right. Not that I was that yeah. great at it, but I'm just saying it was just, you know, kicks coming at people and they don't know, don't usually see that. It kind of, um, they didn't really know how to respond. So I didn't do a lot of it in the ring. And, um, but I just started to do a little bit and Ronnie noticed it, got some information about my history on it, shared it with the scout from UWBFI that was coming back and forth to Nashville. I think at that time he was actually mostly living in Nashville based out yeah, of Nashville. Yeah, I, I heard, a, I, I've heard a story where they would just bring people to this like camp in Nashville yeah. and just, you know, run them, run them through the ringer pretty much. Yeah. And, and fortunately I never had to do, to do that, but, uh, I would have, you know, right. but I remember the first time they came to, to Atlanta and I was, uh, I was teaching school and wrestling on the week. I'd moved to Atlanta in 1990. One of my best friends back then and still is one of my best friends. I haven't told you guys this part of the story is a guy named Steve Day. Steve um, is was it was ten years older than me, um, and just an amazing amateur wrestler and world class. I mean, he um, came very close to, to qualifying for the nineteen eighty Olympics, but then they boycotted and um, won a bronze, a silver, and a gold at the World Games. He's now in the Amateur Wrestling Hall of Fame. Wow. The thing he's most well known for is he was Cody Rhodes' high school wrestling coach, oh, coaching okay. the two state championships. <laughs> so I can say all the other stuff, but that's where people go, oh, cool, you know, yeah. <laughs> he coached Cody Rhodes, but. Um, and so I knew that, that, you know, with his credentials, um, you know, I wanted him to kind of be there in the meeting to kind of really just kind of uh, help me figure out this is something I wanted to, to, to do. I remember they came in and they actually showed us a VHS tape of some of the matches. And when I first saw it, first thing I said was, heck no, I don't want to go do that, man. I don't want to get my head kicked in. Right. And because uh, it was a very physical, very brutal, you know, sport. It was, it was really kind of a a forerunner of what UFC is today right. and, uh, or MMA. And, and um, so at first, I was really reluctant to go. And actually, once they heard Steve's credentials, they were very excited about having him go. So he went before I did. And actually, it was great for me because I'm like, yeah, you go first. <laughs> you tell me, if you survive, maybe I'll think about doing this. And uh, he went, I think, twice. Um, had a great experience. And then so he actually started working with me on some of the stuff he learned over there. And so when it was my time to go, I felt like I was much more ready to go. But it was it was an amazing experience for so many reasons. And um, uh, I, one thing I learned about Japan is that uh, it was, I love the culture. And, and a lot of this because of my martial arts, you know, right. fascination with martial arts. But, um, you know, I always said I wouldn't want to live there forever, but I could definitely live there for an extended period of time. I really enjoyed it over there. And, uh, you know, something that, you know, to continue on with UWFI, you know, you you told me that when you're over there, you developed this friendship with Danny Hodge and Lou Thez. Yeah. Now, a, when people hear Glacier, I don't think that no, yeah. Thez and Danny Hodge pop, yeah. pop into their head. Yeah. You know, how, how does this come together? Um, you know, when the thing I liked about uh, what they did over there with UWFI, they would bring us in, you know, sometimes a week we can have early to actually train with the younger Japanese wrestlers and even some of the veteran wrestlers to basically share ideas, techniques and things. So they have, the, you know, they have their, their pecking order of, you know, when you have your young wrestlers just learning and it's a very 
right. you know, steeped in tradition, you know. And so um, they wanted to, you know, they, they figured, okay, well, you know, American wrestlers are some of the best. And they were bringing in, I mean, high-caliber wrestlers. I mean, Steve was there. Uh, they were bringing in Dan Severin. Um, they were bringing in some other amateur wrestlers who had unbelievable who had been olympians who had won medals right. i mean so they were they were they were smart you know because they were yeah. they were paying these guys to come and compete but also you know benefiting from sharing the knowledge with their guys um and then they were bringing in the legends like billy robinson luthez and danny hodge and so first day i get from my first trip and i go into the dojo to work out they, they took us a van and, and took us there i walk in and i see those three and and i knew enough thank god about history of wrestling to know who they were and I just remember, like I was telling the, the guys at the seminar last night, is I remember saying to myself, like, oh, my God, this is really, really going to be painful, but I'll be able to tell this story the rest of my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and it was. But I learned so much. And, um, and then I developed a friendship with Lou that lasted the last 10 years of his life that was uh, just invaluable. You know? and, and I always say he was one of my mentors. He mentored a lot of people, but right. uh, I developed a very special friendship that that was just something I never ever. And, and Luthez was one of my dad's favorite wrestlers, so that was a a big big thing to me. You know, to be able to present before my dad passed away, present a, an autograph picture. I never got. I never asked Lou for an autograph ever. For me personally, right. I asked it for my dad, and then uh, finally he he signed something for me and gave it to me as, as a gift, which, was, which is hanging on my wall still to this day, which is, you know, along with the autograph he gave my dad. So, it was, yeah, it was those friendships uh, that were de- developed because of my love for wrestling are some of the things that I, I always say, you know, the, the, the things that you, whatever you pursue that you love, it's amazing how many things the universe will work out for you, you know, to, to bring into your life. What did, uh, so what, what was it that Lou gave you? Uh, he actually, they had a, a huge the programs over there were huge, like huge. And he took a page out of one of them. Actually, he it was one where there was a du- tub- double page history on, on his career. And he signed a, a message to me on that and, 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 and gave it to me as a gift. And uh, we're on, on the plane ride home. And then, uh, and, and then I think what you're referring to right. is uh, when, we were, when I was in WCW, um, we were at Monday Nitro in Buffalo, New York. And, uh, and they were honoring him and a few other guys. And, um, and as we're, I sat down and got a bite to eat with him, and he told me, "Hey, you, know, you remember my my book I was working on?" I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, I've got it finished." And and that was just one of the things of conversation. And later on, he said, "Hey, I want to send you something. Uh, uh, get, can I get your address?" And I was like, "Well, sure. You know, I'll take anything that Luthez sends me. You know." And, yeah. and so about a week and a half later, this FedEx shows up, and I open it up, and it's a uh, it's a it's an original manuscript of of his autobiography before it went to print with a really, really special message on the front of it that I keep it in a locking key now. So I show it to that's, only the select awesome. people <laughs> when yeah, they come to my house. I mean, you know, that, that's amazing. That's what, that's what I was saying. It's like, you know, I, I felt after we were, you know, talking last night, you have such an interesting story that people well, have. My journey yeah. has been amazing. It, right. it, it's like we, we were hearing these stories last night. And then if you hear those stories anywhere else, or you hear, you know, two different stories of people and you're like, Oh, Glacier's the missing link. All of a sudden, it gets all put together. And yeah. Like he's the guy that why this all comes together where it does. Uh, like, I'm one of our favorite stories. I, I think we'll just get into it now because a lot of people know you as tag team with Ernest Miller. Yeah, and one of the so yeah hilarious stories is that first meeting. Yeah, so you know, like you have you, that's one of the things uh, you know that people really remember about your run in WCW is you, right. you and Ernest and. You know, I had asked you last night. I said, you know, how did you, how did this come together? How do you meet Ernest Miller? And you know, I'll just throw it to you, you know, because that <laughs> you know this story is unreal. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Um, first of all, let me just say that Ernest and I are still great friends to this day. I saw him when I was in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. I'll be in Atlanta next week. I'll see him again. Um, 
just it's it's that very rare thing that I don't know how or why I know I know Eric could not have anticipated this Eric Bischoff that we would have the great chemistry that we had right. just as 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 two people and uh, so that was that was a a huge plus right out of the gate that we knew we somehow could play off of each other and um, but the the first night I ever met him. I'd been wanting to meet him because Eric was telling me about him. And, and, of course, for those who don't know, Diamond Dallas Page played a huge role in my career. I mean, he's the one, when I always say it's the people who are willing to know you, he's the one that went to bat for me after knowing me for a few years, after seeing my work ethic, seeing my dedication to wrestling. He's the one that went, that mentioned to, that I were to meet with Eric, to, to Eric that we need to meet. And um, and that's what changed my life. But uh, but the first meeting, uh, Page calls me up and says, bro, we need, and Bischoff wants to go, us to meet him, and uh, he's got Ernest with him, and you know, he wants you, us all to meet so you guys can meet up. So I was gung-ho for that. I was like, yeah, where? where? And he goes, oh, just drive with me. I got the address. So we go to this part of Atlanta, which – it was like an airplane hangar, like an old airplane hangar thing, and it's like a part middle, of Atlanta. yeah, I'd, middle of nowhere. No, it's, it's not really middle of nowhere, but it's, a, it's in the middle of a part of Atlanta I'd never been to before then, and have never been since. You <laughs> right, know? So okay. I couldn't find my way back there now if, if my life depended on it. But and so that already kind of set the tone. I was like, this is kind of odd, you know. <laughs> but uh, um, and so we, we pull up at this place, and um, it and, and we and we meet Eric and, and Ernest, and we kind of you know say our highs and hellos, and we and we and I'm, and I'm like, well, what are we doing? And Dallas is like, well, we're just going inside here to watch an event. I was like, all right. And so, uh, and I kind of thought it might be a martial arts event or something because I knew Eric and, and Ernest were into that, uh, like I was. And um, so we get to the door, and there's a, a guy there, a bouncer or security, however you want to call it. And um, I remember seeing, you know, Eric pull out, you know, hundred dollar bills and the cover to get in was a hundred dollars a piece and he just you know laid out the hundred dollar bills and uh we walked in and, and what i found out was it was like a an underground fight you know like a fight club and uh <laughs> eric bishop takes you to a fight yeah, club. and, and, and yeah. there was like and all that was in there there was like for you know for that amount of money there was a big bin like you would find on a farm full of ice and budweiser that was it so if, if you drank beer you could welcome to that and and uh, i found out ernest didn't drink and um and i, I only had one because i was afraid to, i was afraid to have more than that right. in there you know so, right. but uh and if we watched a little bit of it it was actually pretty cool but it, it was also kind of scary too because it was like okay you know somebody gonna raid this thing or whatever you know and um so finally arizona and i talked we were you know we finally were like we'd seen enough of it and we we're like hey you want to get out of here and maybe go somewhere else and uh i won't say where we went but, uh, <laughs> but we decided as both young single men at that point to leave that that party and go to another place in Atlanta, we felt more comfortable. <laughs> but then that was the start of a great friendship I mean, that continues. That is, I, honestly, that is probably one of the most insane things I've ever heard. Yeah. It's just like Eric Bischoff, this top-ranking executive running this multi-million dollar corporation, is having hosting a business meeting, essentially, yeah. at an illegal underground fight yeah. club and in I, an airplane hangar. Yeah, and it might not People have been illegal. I don't know. It weird. might have been sanctioned by somebody. Who knows? I don't know. But uh, but it was, uh, yeah, and, and, and I, I know I've told this story years ago on, on the show, so hopefully Eric doesn't get mad at me. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but you know, I, I, it, was, uh, it was, like I said, it was cool and frightening at the same time. What's up, everybody? This is Alex Worldwide Killer here to tell you all about at Thrift Store Jobber on Instagram. That's right. He's looking for all the choicest in vintage wrestling merch so that you don't have to. And this week, it's a humdinger. You know, a lot of people say that I have some crazy ideas and should never run a wrestling promotion. But you know what? There was once a man with a dream. His name was Herb Abrams, and he started the UWF. And... 
That went as well as it could go. But this shirt looks amazing. Size extra large. Find it on Etsy. Find him on Instagram at Thrift Store Jobber. And use the promo code WORLDWIDE to get 10% off any order. Just bouncing back from there, you know, after after UWFI, you know, do you do you do more independence or how do you how do you wind up in WCW? Um, yeah. yeah, I came back and um, and like I said, luckily still, um, you know, there was uh, at that point the territories were starting to disappear and and um, but you know Georgia still had strong wrestling and at the time, what was once again, I, it just my career. I can't I always say you know I was right on time. I came along at certain periods in wrestling that just were great times to, to be getting into the business. So um, when I first first uh, broke in, uh, I, I, there was a couple of great territories that I worked for. And then I started doing UWFI. When I was doing UWFI, and I was, but I was also in Atlanta, I was working for what was called Southern Championship Wrestling, which was owned by a guy named Jerry Blackwell, Crusher Jerry Blackwell, right. who was big in AWA. It was the greatest, one of the greatest experiences because we, they tape TV once a month at this country bar in Atlanta, in Marietta, <laughs> Georgia. Two-level country bar, so all the fans would come in and stand around the top. And um, we taped four shows in one night because it was a month's worth of, of shows. But it was everyone who wasn't under contract was there, like you know Bob Armstrong, Abdul the Butcher. Uh, I remember Paul Heyman was there. Terry Taylor was there. Eddie Gilbert. Uh, it, um, I got the chance to actually meet and, you know, befriend to a certain degree you know bruiser brody right before he for all, oh, wow. all that happened to him so wow. so that that ran for a few years and 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 i got a really good push on a tag team with another young wrestler i actually during that time tagged with jeff jarrett some he came down from memphis and so it was a it was a, so i was getting a lot of great exposure doing the same thing just just getting in the ring put me with veterans i could listen pretty good and not mess up and, and great experience great that, experience yeah. yeah and uh with with some of the best of the best you know right. uh, bob orton jr came through there dick slater came through there i mean i, I find myself in a tag team tournament in the making coliseum which is a a huge venue they did a two-night tag team tournament and and the, the kid i was wrestling with we end up in a tag we're in a tag match against bob orton jr and dick slater and, wow. I, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm literally terrified you know because i'm just like <laughs> I can't I, even imagine. all right my career yeah. will probably come to an end tonight because they'll probably stomp the little did the you know eventually you'd find yourself in an underground fight club yeah, right. yeah, who, yeah, who <laughs> yeah. but uh but yeah and so um but after that, the, the really great thing that happened was uh, there was um, a lot of people. Uh, uh, he's been around forever. He doesn't really do that much now. But there's a guy named Joe Pettacino out of Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And Joe was very instrumental in starting a Saturday night wrestling block of time from like, they ran from like six o'clock to midnight or, or later. And they were somehow able to mix in local TV taped you know, wrestling with like some of the WWE, the AWA, it was WWE. Right, just like yeah. everything. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so if you were a fan on Saturday night, you just plopped down in front of the TV and you had several hours. Well, we taped the show. None of us got paid anything, hardly like right. 10 bucks to, <laughs> to go do the TV show. But it aired right in the middle of all that. So in that North Georgia area, we were all considered kind of you know, good wrestling yeah. stars. You know, yeah, kind of a big deal. Stars. And so even though, but, and I was teaching school, so I had a good good job. Especially in that, in that time frame, like that yeah. time period where TV was so strong. Yeah, yeah. You know, such right. an important thing. Right, and, and, and out of that crop of guys came me, Bagwell, Disco Inferno, Scotty Riggs, um, uh, Road Dog came through there eventually. 
so a lot of guys who would go on to move to the next level came through there. Wow. And we all made no money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so so I think I always tell like to attendees, it wasn't different back when we were going to, you know, if you're not making a lot of money, it was like that before 20, 30 years ago. Trust me. It, it's a, but you have to do that. You know, and, and I hate to say, but it is true. It's part of paying your dues. It's part of, it's the trade off. Yeah. You're and, not getting paid a lot, but you're getting great exposure. And getting your reps in and getting yeah, in there with exactly. people and learning and investing yourself. And that's what I loved about that show. It was called North Georgia Wrestling. Uh, is they had guys who came in who who were at the the end of their career. The guys who had great careers like Rotten Ron Starr and 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 guys like that. That um, you know, wrestling too came in some like jur- like journeymen. Yeah, journeymen of. guys who and some that were big names, but some that were more you know still the journeymen but great performers right. in the ring. And like so regional just, stars. Yeah and, yeah, and and like Rotten Ron Starr for people who don't know who he is. I mean, he went on to have a great career in Puerto Rico. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, did some stunt work on some of the. He was telling me about when he was a stuntman on Fantasy Island back oh, in the day, wow. the TV show. And but uh, this guy was just such a great bad guy in the ring. I mean, I, I, all I had to do was show up and and literally just just listen and not mess up. I mean, I, every and, and and night after night after night they put me with him. It was the greatest learning experience in the world. You know, it's just to and then you know to get in those kind of reps. Eventually, you start thinking like that too on how to right. go out there and make this thing can lead to this and blah blah blah. You so start putting it together. Start yourself. putting it together. And that's why I always tell younger wrestlers. You know, um, when you learn to call it in the ring, you don't fear you don't fear calling it in the ring. You know? Right. And uh, and go out there and and you know let some of it develop organically. You know, find out what the crowd. You know, that's the those are the best performers in any business, whether it's singing, music, whatever. You gotta you gotta feed off every crowd's different, so you gotta be able to feed off that. You know, and if you're not willing to change your performance and what you do based on the crowd, you're gonna come up short a lot. Right. You know? so, yeah. But it, but it's a learning process. So from there, is that where Dallas discovers you? Um, yeah, you know, um, this is one of the things that just amazes me. Um, one of my mentors, who's someone who's, I always say Dallas is kind of like my crazy big brother. Uh, <laughs> my buddy Chip Smith, who's, uh, who's probably the closest thing I have to a big brother, he owned a, a Gold's Gym in Atlanta. He sold it to Lex and Sting. They renamed it Main Event Fitness. Um, and uh, they opened, there was two, but one opened in Marietta, Georgia, which just kind of became the hub. Eventually, they shut the other one down and just everything worked out of that. But here I am, an independent wrestler. I moved to Atlanta to try to make, go to that next level. I mean, it, it's a no-brainer to me. Like, why wouldn't I go to, you know, main event fitness and work out there? Right, you know? right. I was amazed at how many people were supposedly trying to move to the next level that wouldn't even think to do that. I was like, are you I you're going yeah, yeah. to run into somebody? Everybody there, you know? knows who's everybody, going there. And, yeah. and everybody usually knows what times they're there. So that, I, I threw that, um, actually through Disco, because Disco got to know um, uh, Dallas first. And, and Disco and I are still great friends. And uh, so anyway, just through that and hanging out, I got to meet Dallas and got to know Dallas. And, um, and just, you know, I just learned early on, Dallas had a great work ethic. And at that point, Dallas is still trying to make it. So right. he wasn't yeah. really in a position, other than the fact that him and Eric had become good friends. Um, just it was just was kind of like by association like i i enjoyed hanging out with dallas because i liked his work ethic uh i knew i just knew based on what i'd done through athletics that if one thing is he was going to get noticed whether he would ever get that break or not because i mean he was he outworked everybody he really did so i just knew there would be some good things that would come from hanging out with him you know and they did thank god and so does he take you to you know does he say eric check this guy out Uh, the funny thing is i didn't have time to tell it last night when we were doing the seminar is this is exactly how it happened and i always say you know you've won you 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 know uh you never know when your break's going to come and you never know how it's going to come now now there's a little bit more structure with nxt and all that for wwe but um but back then you know it could happen in an instant it did for me we were in a mall it was uh december 23rd 
I can remember this like it was yesterday, December 23rd, 95. We were in the big mall in Atlanta. Uh, Kimberly was with us, but I think her parents were there too. So she went off shopping with them. Dallas and I were off shopping. We stop at this pizza place and, and we're eating in the food court. And Dallas and I both are shoving our faces with pizza, which you would never do now. Right. Unless it was free pizza. <laughs> but, um, and I said to him, I said, you know, because uh, we actually, the funny thing is, he actually helped me pitch. The, Disco and I came up with the Coach Buzz Stern gimmick. Right. And he actually pit, he liked it and pitched that to Eric, and Eric was kind of lukewarm on it. He's like, he didn't like it, but he didn't really dislike it. But he was like, ah, let's just wait on that. And so he was already pitching stuff for me, you know. And so finally I just said, you know, I said, uh, Dallas, I'm, I'm really thinking about putting a lot more martial arts into what I do in the ring. And he's got a whole mouthful of pizza. He goes, bro, he goes, well, that'd be great if you knew some of that crap. And, of course, he didn't say crap. But uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I said, Paige, I said, what do you mean? I said, yeah, I've been studying since I was a kid. And so then I tell him all, and he goes, he goes, you know, Bischoff's into all that stuff. And I was like, I had no idea. So he goes, look, give me a, you know, so I want to drive back to his house. I was giving him all the information. So he calls Eric, or they, because you know, back then they lived literally, you know, three houses from each other. And so he tells all this to Eric. And all of a sudden, it piques Eric's interest. What what he didn't know was at the time Eric was already trying to put you know the 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 beginning of the workings of you know some Mortal Kombat type characters because Turner was very interested in I mean playing off what's popular in society and that was the biggest thing going right. at the time. Yeah. the game, the movie, and, then, and and Turner Broadcasting you know produced a TV show, the Mortal Kombat. So anyway, he tells Eric, and this is how he told it to me. He tells Eric, and Eric says. Okay, I'm interested. Schedule a meeting right after the holidays. So first week of January, Paige tells me what restaurant to be at and what time to be there. And it's it was I like, think it was like a Outback Steakhouse or Lone, you know, right, st- one of Steakhouse, those. one of those. Right around right in their neighborhood. I meet in the back of the restaurant. There's Eric sitting there. I walk in. We have was almost I believe almost a three hour conversation, and he grilled me up one side down the other. And I know that I'd given Paige a tape of some matches to show him. To this day, I don't think Eric even watched it. Based on that conversation, he said or saw something in that, and he said, um, "He said I want to sign you to a, a WCW contract." And he said, "Are you still wrestling on Independent Circuit?" And I said, "Yes, sir, I am." He said, "I want to pay you to disappear from the Independent Circuit, starting today." And I was like, "I can do that." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I tell all young wrestlers. It, your, your life can change in an instant. You have to be ready for it, though. After about year five, I felt like I was ready. It took five more years for that opportunity to line up with right. me being ready. You know. So at that at that meeting at the Outback Steakhouse, does he pitch you on the Mortal Kombat stuff? No, or not the- really. I don't remember. I remember that he he mentioned something about that. Of course, you know, at that point, we had no idea. We were – he didn't even know. And so uh, I know he knew – he was – all I knew was that he – was looking for at least like four people to start with. I knew he had already had Ernest in his mind because Ernest taught karate to his kids. And so him and Ernest are already friends. So he figured he, but Ernest wasn't a wrestler. So he needed to get Ernest to the power plant and start getting him trained. He wanted to surround Ernest with the other guys who could, um, who could carry the weight of the load until Ernest kind of got up to speed. And yeah. I always tell, this is something I always say about Ernest. He's a world-class athlete. He really is. I mean, he, in six months, he became a wrestler that would take most people two, three years easily to, to, to learn. I mean, so I always, I always give him a tip of the hat on that because he learned a lot in a very short period of time. And, uh, but then Chris Canyon came on board and Brian Clark. Uh, what I did is I brought to Eric was um, there was a guy who I'd worked with, him, uh, and it was a special effects artist, uh, a guy named Andre Fridas, who owned a company called AFX Studios in Atlanta. And I knew he did some great work, so I put him in touch with Eric. They agreed that he would be the one that would design from drawing board to finished product that the look and so that's how that started 
with the whole Glacier thing, they started with literally almost 200 names, and they whittled it down, whittled it down, whittled it down, until finally, you know, they got down to Do you remember some of the other ones? I do. I'll tell you. Here's, and I still have Because <laughs> here's what – this is going to blow your mind. And so, um, you think, this was in 96, okay, the early 96. Any idea who else came along in 90, around that mid-96 era that changed the world of wrestling? The NWO. It, it, before that, and 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 WWF, WWE. Oh, we got. I mean, Austin starts really getting hot in '96. Exactly. Right? So, so you were going to be. So, so, so I got. I, I I get. I um, and Andre put together a folder. I still have of all the notes that he made as an artist going through everything. And once he got down to like the final ten names, and and, he's, and he, I never he, he made copies on blue paper, which I thought was cool. And uh, out of the ten names, Glacier was one. One of the other suggestions of 10 names was Stone Cold. Wow. <laughs> and I have the proof. I still have it. I still have the notes. And, uh, uh, I always say, though, that being said, I feel like the right guy got the name Stone Cold. And I think he did a lot of, a lot of good with know. it for the wrestling business. I, but, think, uh, I think some people might argue that yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but it was, you know, uh, it, was a, it was an unbelievably wild ride. What was really cool about it was that Eric really liked to, he wanted to keep everything very secretive. He didn't want us talking about it to anybody. And that was Eric, that was kind of like his thing then, you know, he kind of yeah. started to keep stuff secret which I thought was great because the sheet writers were you know trying to gain more power and this is the infancy of the internet so it really right. wasn't a factor then which is kind of scary to even think we're, we're saying that you know right. <laughs> but, uh, um, sounds like that was a hundred years ago but uh, so we would have what we would call the midnight meetings at AFX studios and uh, and sometimes they were at midnight sometimes they were like 10 o'clock but it was where the secret of meetings where we would meet in Dallas and Andre and Eric and we'd all you know, kind of give Eric an update on what we were doing and stuff like that but I mean, to me, that was some of the coolest part of the whole experience because we were in on something that no one else was in on. And, right. uh, and yeah. I wasn't even telling my friends what it was. And there was big speculation that, you know, when Glacier thing started, who was it going to be? You know, it was going to be this person, this person, this person. So, and, and, you know, and I always come back to saying, too, you know, the timing of it, I always feel the timing of it was right when Eric first had the idea. Because of all the NWO stuff, which changed the world of wrestling, was the timing right when, when we started finally get out there? No. But the thing is, somebody had to be willing to do it first. Right. You know, and I was more than willing to do it because you got the president of the company backing you. You know? Exactly. So, yeah. so you know, yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm going full steam. This was mine and Canyon's big break. Canyon was like me. He had he'd been doing it for a long time, I think, I don't know, almost maybe 10 years. So this is the thing. This is going to change our lives, you know? And right. Ernest, you guys were all in at yeah, this Yeah, if point. it didn't yeah. work, Ernest could go back to the martial arts world, which which I think he would have been fine with. I think I know he wanted it to work, and he was putting a lot of effort. Brian was coming off of being atom bomb in WWF. I think it was a stop off for Brian along the way. He, I think he still gave it his all. I don't think his heart was in it like ours was, but that's, I'm not faulting him for that at all. I'm just right. saying for him, it was a stop along the way of his whole career. Um, but but he, I thought he did a great job. This is your guys' first break. This is, so this like is and I, gung-ho. I, I know how hard it, it took 10 years to get that break, and I knew I was like, all right, if this doesn't work, it, I'm probably not going to get another shot, especially right. not one like this. So, we, I mean, Canyon and I, to say we gave it our all, I mean, it was, it, we, we, it, was our, it became our lives. I mean, we did everything in our power, but that was why – Paige handpicked the three of us. I mean, uh, Ernest was kind of picked by, by Eric. He handpicked James Mitchell to be Vandenberg, James Vandenberg. Um, but he picked me and Canyon, especially because of our work ethic, you know, and, and that's something I can say very proudly, you know, because there's people out there I'm sure could work harder than me, but that's one thing, like, I, I'm an average athlete with a great work ethic, and I'm proud to say that. I, and I was, I was someone who was too humble for a long time to, to really publicly say that, even though I felt it. Paige is the one that... that Show me it's okay to have the confidence to, to tell the world that, you know? Right. But 
Canyon was the same way. He had an unbelievable work ethic. And Canyon had gone through some bad gimmicks. Like he did this thing called Minute Work with one of the other guys, Mike. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. And so he was very frustrated. He felt like he was good enough to be in a good spot and he wasn't there. So this was his his opportunity to say, for both of us to say, hey, you know, take a look at us. We deserve to be here. So yeah. was he was he involved in like those midnight meetings and the designing oh, yeah. of the costumes and yeah, stuff yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah. He he had a huge hand in the whole creation of the mortis gimmick uh we both i mean ours we were there almost every day and uh and, and it was it was a fun process uh it was nerve-wracking at times because we really that's the thing that and i don't fault wcw for at the time because that's the difference wcw was a television company that had a wrestling show you know right. not a wrestling yeah. company that sure. was on tv we had very little help i mean that was basically like and eric was trying to run the company so he was like look guys i trust you figure it out you know right. and so the creative team so to speak the booking committee was literally giving us nothing this was all on us to come up with and uh and i remember i was at the power plant and one day and i just could not seem to wrap my head around who glacier was and i and dallas was there and i just he said what's wrong i said i, I just i can't can't figure out who this guy is and he says Bro, well, you better, better figure it out because if you don't know, the fans definitely won't know. And so he said, what's the backstory on this guy? And I was like, what do you mean? Because I never had to, to go that deep into creating right. a gimmick. And he says, I want you to go home and I want to, the next time I see you, I want to know what the backstory is on this guy. I want to know his history from the day he was born, everything that got him here. He said, once you know that, you'll know who Glacier is. And and it worked. It, I, I, and I got to create that, you know. And so, um, and, you know, the guys at the, uh, the special effects studios helped some. Me and Canyon got the guy. i tell you who was a great help was, was Vandy. I was call him Vandy, but James, James Mitchell, incredible mind for the oh, wrestling it, business. And so, that's what um, everybody says. Yeah, yeah he yeah. really is. And, and he is absolutely one of the funniest human beings that you will ever want to be around. But uh, <laughs> just bring a lot of beer. He drinks a lot of beer. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, you know what he's doing nowadays? Which is he, karaoke he, guy. He's got a karaoke business, very successful in Kissimmee, Florida, down there near Disney. And he's living the life, man. I mean, that's what I love about him. You know, he's living life on his terms. And I just absolutely, I don't get to see him enough. I absolutely love when I see him because he's such a, just such a great friend and, and a, just an entertaining guy. You'll never have a dull moment around him. So uh, one thing that I think people would be mad if I didn't ask about <laughs> was the, the Glacier vignettes. Who pitches these? Who writes them? You know, like, uh, how long do you shoot them? Because like, um, there was a bunch of them. Yeah. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I was just talking to a buddy of mine, Matt Green, who's a special effects guy, a, a, a really a master at what he does. He works a lot in, in you know, Atlanta now because that's the big hub for films. And uh, uh, the, Michael Shockett was uh, the producer, director for, for most of those. Um, Michael's a great guy. I really applauded what he did because I had no idea they were going to go to that level to, right. to do these things. And, um, uh, and But Michael let me have you – know, Mike gave – I had all the input that – I wanted to have so you know I had some great ideas they used some and, and some of them they didn't but um but yeah you know the vignettes were, were done and once again I always tell people too like you know because someone sent me a thing one time there's an article that came out I guess maybe I don't know six months ago where he said uh Pentagon on under uh, Lucha Underground. Right. Yeah. He said Pentagon is what Glacier should have been. And someone sent it to me. Said I know this might make you mad. And I said no, it doesn't make me mad. I agree with it. You know, right. <laughs> I said, Glacier Glacier would have thrived on a show like Lucha Underground. You know, that's, but, that's true. But uh, but you know, once again, no one knew. You can theorize all day long, but you got to throw it out there, and someone's got to be willing to make that first move. And it's a different time period. Yeah, it's a different. Yeah, and, right. and and the fact that just the un you know unexpected explosion of the nwo that no one that, well, they just that, don't know that's that what, that's what i was going to ask do you think that the glacier gimmick was maybe a year too late yeah it was um yeah it was about a year too late um because you like that's going on right when almost the 
the realism yeah. kind of takes over wrestling what, with Stone Cold. And that's the and thing. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. I don't yeah. know if it was a year too late. I just think it was uh, it was a great idea that when it started to be executed was gonna would have been great if the NWO and all that wouldn't have come along and made and it just kind of got lost in the shuffle. Yeah, because and I mean, you think about it, how quickly the wrestling world changed when Nash like and Hall jumped ship overnight. Essentially, it, it oh, was yeah, like absolutely. it was an invasion thing that people really believed, you know. And I don't know if that was in the works when we first started the thing around the beginning of, of, of 96 but during that six to eight month period is when the wrestling world was totally changed so when people and over the years trust me no one has sat down and analyzed it more than me right. <laughs> but, uh, but um but you know that was the thing that eric was big on too is like i don't want these guys to be clowns i want it to be played very straight i don't want people to make fun of these guys i want kids to really want to be these guys right. you know and so even then eric was like well you know what guys we're already invested we're just we're going to run with it as best we can I found out years later from some people who I really trust their opinions that there were people in the booking committee that just weren't out behind it. They, 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 they thought more of traditional wrestling, even though this invasion angle was changing wrestling, you know, um, and they just wouldn't get behind it. Uh, I'm not blaming anybody. I, and I don't think it was anything personal towards me or Canyon or us as people. It was just a gimmick. They didn't, they didn't seem to like it. And if they didn't like it, it's not that they were going to battle it. Not that they would conspire against it, but they weren't going to do anything to really help get it, it over seemed either. like yeah. you know it seemed like that was kind of wcw's attempt to go like the wwf route right you know which traditionally in the south that wasn't a right. lot of what you saw exactly and 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 it's one of two things could have happened eric could have said you know what let's just pull this and cut our losses but he didn't he said you know i see there's a lot of potential here and at the very least you know there's a lot of kids watching the show and I think it still will appeal to the kids so um he, he said let's just let's let's give we're gonna give an honest effort and I said well we're we're in it as long as you feel like you want to put us out there. And they probably yeah. were like trying to look down the road at like toys and yeah, merchandise. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was supposedly, you know, a huge push that was going to be for a lot of that stuff. But you look, go back and look at WCW now, and, and, and I don't know who, who, if there's one person default, but WCW's merchandise always kind of sucked. You know? Right. <laughs> so, right. you know, they didn't really do action figures, and when they did, they weren't really good action figures. And, and they only did them with a handful of the guys, unlike right. – that's one thing I always say. I always give credit to WWE. Once you become on that main roster of WWE, you're referred to as a WWE superstar. Right. Yeah, they Everybody. Were, I had those action figures. They were yeah. little, like, kind of like were, five, six years behind on what they were Both doing. Boring. Because none yeah. of them moved. The At that time, you moved, got the ring, yeah. and then WWE, yeah. the guys pop up, and, you know, you, you yeah, can do it, stuff. All the, and then you just have ahead. basically just a stat, little mini statue right, is right. what the WCW and, action figures and were. They, like, and they ah. came out with the, the cars, and I had the cars, and there was, like, two cars. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, which, and those were cool and I have a whole box full of them at home um, and then the video games and that was great I was on three of the video I mean, games you know so I, I'm gonna say it right now you were probably my favorite guy to play as you and Canyon <laughs> Mortis WCW NWO Revenge for the Nintendo 64 <laughs> cryonic kick yeah and that's I tell you what I mean because that's that's what our gimmick was, was I like did love the video you're a video game. yeah we're video, um, video inspired game characters you know yeah. but people will always say that very like they'd like say it to me like a secret like was that stuff's inspired by Mortal Kombat? I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what else would it have been? You know, I mean, so Do you, but, uh, sometimes you just got to be like, what is what is Mortal Kombat? Yeah, yeah, you I just oh yeah, and just one have of, them educate one you. One of the cool things uh, I did an interview with Uprocks, um, yeah, you know, so, uh, back around the WrestleMania week, and um, one of the things I, I learned because I was being a school teacher, I, I, I found out early on how to relate to kids, and I think that's the reason I came became a teacher. Is I, and I, surprisingly enough, I don't have any kids of my own after all these years, but but I think that really fed my my soul is because I had you know so many kids that that I related to when I was a teacher. So when I was you know became you know uh, at, at Glacier, I, I knew how to 
pretty much how to relate to kids. And that was one of the things I would always tell kids when they would be mesmerized by the eye. Because th- as far as I know, I, I was the first wrestler to ever have a colored contact. I mean, there might have been somebody before me. I can't remember, but maybe there was. But but kids really were attracted to that. And so yeah. kids would come up and, you know, you had the innocence of a kid that would say, is that your real eye? You know, and, 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 and what am I going to say? No, it's a contact, kid. That's <laughs> what I would say. I go, I go, yeah, actually, this is my real eye. I'm both eyes look like this, but I put a contact to make this one look normal. So I look kind of <laughs> normal to the, the rest of the world. And they go, really? And I go, yeah, but don't tell anybody, okay? <laughs> so, so it kind of get the kids giving them something they felt like they knew that everyone else didn't, you know? And uh, so you told me another great story. We won't go into great detail on it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you said you're in Athens, Ohio. Buff Bagel yep. pisses off the whole crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. And, and you, you, you tell a great rock or rock story and a Paul yeah. Orndorff. We'll just take it from Buff Bagwell's pissed off the crowd. <laughs> yeah, we go to Ohio University. It's a house show. Sold out, but mostly college students. And uh, and this is during that era when Ohio University was named one of the top party schools in the country. And, uh, and you know, we got the opportunity to really just rock this house because, of you know, it's college kids. They're going to react probably well to anything if we just go out there and do our job. And Bagwell goes out there and he, he says something to the crowd that really, as Bagwell would do, because that's what I love about Bagwell. He has a knack of, of knowing when he's a heel, he's going to make the crowd, you know, really dislike him. At least, you know, he, he can get a reaction. He's great right. at getting a reaction. And he got a great reaction with this remark that, that I probably don't need to say on the air. <laughs> but, um, uh, and, and the crowd just was just, you know, they were just in a frenzy for the rest of the night. And I remember Orndorff telling us that we were two tag teams that were supposed to go on. It was us, uh, uh, Ernest and I against uh, Wrath and Mortis. And then it was uh, Booker T and, and Stevie Ray, Harlem Heat against Public Enemy. And he decided just to put it into an eight-man tag to kind of get us through that the night a little bit quicker. And um, and a lot of people don't know, but Rocco Rot was also a, a, a pro boxer back in the day. And God rest his soul, one of the best people that I ever had the opportunity to know, in or, in or out of wrestling, just a good-hearted guy, would do anything to help anybody. And uh, but um, and this fan, you know, decides obviously I'm sure intoxicated, comes over the railing and like and then when that happens in the wrestling business, you don't. You have to do whatever you can to kind of stuff it real quick because you don't know if, if what right, their intentions are. Yeah. You really don't. You have to assume the worst. And sometimes people don't understand that. They go, oh, it's just a fan. Yeah, but you don't know. You just you don't know. And and if you've if someone's emotionally charged, they may not realize what they're doing, and they may not realize the magnitude of it if they're trying to stab somebody or whatever. So he turns around. He comes running. Draco jumps right off the edge of the ring and just one shot, just boom, just drops him like a bat. <laughs> Security picks him up and carries him right off. You know, so but uh, um, and, and that was that was kind of the start of a of a crazy night in Athens, Ohio. And then um, when we were. Um, we went to get something to eat, and at this point, I was really I was riding with Paul a lot, really picking his brain because you know he's Paul he's, he's a yeah. Yeah, yeah, already I mean, not. And, and uh, Nick Patrick happened to be with us when we went to get a bite to eat. I can't remember if Nick was traveling with us at the time, but I remember he was with us on this this night. And we go to this little pub to get a bite to eat, and you know we're, we're having a couple of beers, just uh, or at least I was, and and um, getting a bite to eat. And and, and there's a lot; it's just packed with wrestling fans. I mean, wall to wall in there. Like I said, like a college bar, it wasn't a big big place. The, and, probably the Red Brick. That's yeah, a, that's yeah, and, and that's, so, a uh, it's and a, that's a hot spot in Athens. It, it, that may have been it. It was, uh, but like I said, it was just packed full of, of, of most college kids. And so anyway, so these uh, group of college guys um, were standing, one cute girl, and they were standing there, and they kept egging me on to stay and hang Party out for a them. while. Yeah, and, and here I am. I'm a young single guy, and I'm on TV all the time. It's a pretty good time to be me, you know. Okay. So, <laughs> and so uh, like all of us were at that time. And so, uh, 
so I, I'd say, hey, guys, you mind if I stay? Because the hotel where we were all staying was only a couple blocks away. And I said, I'll just walk back to the hotel. And, um, and Paul's like, are you sure? And that big, deep voice of his. And I was like, I was like, yeah. And so he kind of gives me that look like he's reluctantly, like a reluctant dad look. Right. you know. And so he says, okay. And so they leave. At least, you know, I think they leave. And then I get in the midst of this crowd. And one thing leads to another. And you know, I, I don't know if the people I was talking to, especially, you know, the young girl, somehow her boyfriend was there and he was mad and whatever, but somehow someone threw, balled up a paper cup with ice and threw it and hit me in the back of the head. And so I turned around to see who it was. And the guys who were standing there, big wrestling fans, supposedly, when I turned around to ask them, hey, who, who threw that? Because they were looking back the other way and it's not a big place. I knew they had to see something. They just kind of put their hands up and started to step back. And all of a sudden the crowd just seemed to close in on me. And I just thought, you, there's moments where you go, uh-oh, you right. know, this is not not where I need to be young, right now. <laughs> yeah. Young, young yeah. bruised up college kids. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you hear the stories about the people who kind of want to make a name for themselves, you know, beating up a wrestler or whoever. So as I'm trying to figure out in, in, in you know, split seconds how I'm going to try to fight my way out of here, uh, I hear the voice of Paul Orndorff, and, and he's like, hey, Ray, and it's just like the C parts because <laughs> he still was pretty jacked back then, you know, and, and all of a sudden he walks up and and uh, and he says, you ready to go? And I was like, heck yeah. You know? so, uh, <laughs> I didn't know they had pulled the car right around the front, and um, and Nick was driving. The wheel man. Uh, yeah, and, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it really felt like. You know, Paul tells me to get in the back like I'm a scalded teenager, you know, and, and uh, we get in the back and, and drove off, and, and he just said, he said, remember, don't ever go in any place by yourself as a wrestler when you're on the road. And, and that was a, a lesson learned that I have uh, that I've made sure I hear to since then. <laughs> How scary for those college kids, man. Paul oh, Orndorff yeah. walking yeah. in. Just Paul, huge yeah. and jacked. And, and just, you know, Paul had that that look, man, when that voice, and he, you just knew he meant business, you know, yeah. you did not want to be in his way. He you knocked know? Vader out in flip-flops. I can yeah. only imagine what he's going to do yeah. with a regular yeah, pair of shoes you know, on. exactly. He was going to do some damage. And, uh, the college kids um, are dead, yeah, not thank, Vader. Thank goodness he was looking out for me, you know, so, because uh, that could have, I, I don't know if it would have escalated to that, but I felt like it was heading that way, and I was certainly glad he uh, was, uh, you know, um, proactive in the sense of getting my, getting my butt out of there before it got bad. <laughs> so, so after WCW, your career in WCW, you kind of, you formed Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling with Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, how, like how does that like how does Dusty go Ray? You know Ray Glacier. <laughs> how you know let's let's do this. How how does yeah. that come together? Um, and I don't know if it's fair to say I formed it with him. I, I think it's maybe fair to say he allowed me to be a part of the ride. Right. <laughs> so, but uh, Dusty left. You were, the, you were, the, you're like kind of like his right hand man. Yeah, I, yeah. I, and I'm, I say that with with a lot of pride uh, and humility because. Um, uh, it was in 2000 he left WCW and it was always a dream of his to open his own promotion so he started Turnbuckle Entertainment and the main part of that was Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling and so um, in Dallas you know Dallas uh, always credits Dusty for being the one that gave him his start and uh, and I credit Dallas for you know, being the one that really helped me you know get to where I am so there was all that kind of circle already you know and and um, uh, and even though I idolized Dusty, I still, in the, even though we worked together in WCW, I didn't get to really get close to Dusty. I, I got to know him and talk to him at, at work, but never really felt like I was, you know, on that inner circle of friendship right. with him, you know, yeah. yet. He's, so, and he was kind of like an office guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so it was kind of that. And there was just that, uh, in awe of it, it was Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> so, uh, but I'll never forget, I, I apparently, you know, he had talked to Dallas, and Dallas recommended that. I'd be the guy to kind of help him, you know, as far as the talent, run the locker room, and kind of be his right-hand guy. So I'll never forget, I was pulling up at my house, and my little, you know, cell phone rings at the time. And uh, as I'm pulling in my driveway, and I answer, because I didn't recognize the number, and it says, uh, Raymond Lloyd? And he always called me Raymond. I said, 
yeah? And he says, this American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget. <laughs> I'm like, you said, you could just said Dusty. I wouldn't yeah. know who you were. I'm, it's kind of cool you said American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. So, just to uh, clarify. Yeah, yeah, just to clarify. In case there's there any other Dusty yeah. Rhodes. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, and he invited me to come meet with him. And, um, and of course I did. And, and he told me his plans and what he was doing. And it just blew me away that, that he was picking me to offer that spot to. And of course I said, yes. Right. And, um, even though I was still with WCW, I was able to, um, you know, Eric and Dusty had a good relationship at the time. And so Dusty kind of got it approved that, you know, that I could still work with him on the side as long as it didn't interfere with what I was doing, you know, with, with WCW. And there was a period right there where they weren't using me a lot at times. So uh, it, it worked perfectly, you know? And, um, and so once WCW folded, I had an opportunity to, to go to WWE, but briefly, it was a brief, you know, opportunity and uh and but dusty really wanted me to work with him more full-time and uh and honestly being on the road for five years as much as i didn't want to publicly admit it i was i was really worn out you know i was worn out of being on the road all the time i, I kind of wanted to get back to a little bit more of a steady you know life but still be in wrestling and, and that, be under the learning tree of dusty, dusty roads and right. so yeah. my buddy steve day the one i told you went to uwfi he actually had a position open at Lasseter high school which was a huge high school great high school still is um and so I thought about it and I said, you know what, I'd rather go back to a little bit more of a predictable life right now. So I took the teaching job and coaching job, and, but then I also worked full time with Dusty building turnbuckles. So to me, I mean, I, I, there's always been that saying that back in the day to have the ultimate career would have been to been able to go back and forth between WCW and WWE and, and, and you know, not burn bridges there and have a good run in both of them. Uh, would I wanted to take a good run in WCW? Of course, you know, WWE. And like I said, their offer was I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, they, they were moving right past me to somebody else. So, so, yeah, so yeah. like, so like uh, I guess kind of like, I, I don't know that this is common knowledge, but how does, you know, how does the talks between you and WWE happen? This is right after WCW folds, Right, correct? right. So they were holding all the cards, you know, and, um, and, and, and it's like Dallas always says, you know, the, 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 ones, the ones who win the war right, get the right to history, you know. So they basically had their hands, they could pick whoever they wanted. Uh, cherry pick who to offer things to, um, and then they could. You know, the money didn't have to be that good in their their mind because right, they're the only they, show. In town. What else yeah, are you gonna yeah, do? Where yeah. you gonna go? You know. So to me, it was a very fair offer there, and I was dealing with Kevin Kelly, and um, uh, and it was a very fair offer. But I, I, compared to the, the opportunity to really, really sit on the learning tree full time from Dusty, it just. I couldn't. I couldn't. Did they have I, an I, I was terrified to walk away from that opportunity. You know. So. Did they have an idea of a gimmick for yeah, you? Yeah, they did. They uh, they wanted me to actually because my my, my parents were both uh, career Georgia State Patrol. My twin brother was. Uh, my two uncles were. My dad's two brothers. So there was over a hundred years of law enforcement experience in my immediate family, basically. And you think about that over a hundred years of wow. law enforcement yeah. experience. That's it's cool. a lot. Yeah. Uh, my mom was the highest ranking woman in the history of Georgia State Patrol when she retired. Uh, my dad had a very celebrated career. So. They had somehow heard about that, and um, and so they had the idea. They thought it might be cool to possibly do a, a state trooper type character, and it would have probably been cool to do that. But um, but it was one of those things too where I, I didn't. I was really fearful of mixing my that heritage of my Real family and, and with with a wrestling gimmick because sure. I knew I wouldn't be able to be in total control of that. And in that legacy, I didn't really want to mess with. You know, so yeah, you wanted <laughs> you wanted to be fair to them. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah, and, and it was just um, I, I thought it was a great idea. And I, honestly, yes, there's a part of me that would have loved to have done it. I would have done it with all my heart, but it just didn't seem to match up to. Um, to, to be able to work with Dusty full time, you know, what I mean, that, he was what, my childhood was, hero. Was there one, you know, was there one like instance where you're just like, "Yep, I'm not, I'm not doing that." Um, like what, like what impacts 
that decision because I feel like, especially at that time, people yeah. are people are dying for that call. You yeah. know, there, there was one thing that 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 did, but it, it's not something I'll, I'll share with you guys in private. Oh, all right. <laughs> because, Fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. But, but it was um, it was I can say this: it was mainly uh, it was just the fact that <clears throat> you know I, I really felt like my body needed a, a more of a break. Uh, and, and like I said, I, was, I had opportunity to go back to, to teaching, which it just would give me a steady life where I, I was making, you know, because I, I had a master's degree. So with that, my years of experience, I'd make a good income. I remember, that, you know, telling Dallas, Dallas, you can go back to teaching school. And he goes, how much can you make there? And I told him and he goes, bro, he goes, and it was like, and I was going to be going back into where I was going to be making like, like, you know, like 53,000 teaching school. And he goes, bro, that's like making a hundred grand on the road. I go, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no expense. Yeah. Right. And, People um, forget that you're paying all your expenses yeah, when you're on the outside road with of WCW. Your flights, or, I mean, you pay or, for everything else. And, and, uh, and I, and I had met, uh, my girlfriend at the time who I was on the way to getting engaged to her. So I kind of felt like, you know, I need to kind of get a little bit more of a stable life because maybe it's time to write that next chapter of my life. You right. know, I knew I didn't want to be on the road and try to be married, you know, not, not full time. So there were a lot of factors you know but the, i'll tell you the main one is i had the opportunity to to build dusty's company with him and he was going to allow me to do that That's and amazing. it was just awesome. and I, I tell you it was i look at it back we talk all the time i one of my other best buddies from wrestling uh, luther biggs who went to the power plant we talk about the fact that it was such a great independent wrestling company because dusty had the power to bring in you know anybody. anybody you know and then he did you know and 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 so here the young trainees that were coming through the we were, with the wrestling school you know, Dusty was able to put them in the ring with a Manny Fernandez and 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 you know veteran and, guys, and, yeah, and Larry Zabisco and guys that would come in. I mean, Bobby Eaton, he brought Bobby in a lot. You know, I mean, that was just invaluable. So the the independent wrestling fans got to see a great show, and then it always headlined by Dusty. You know, right. and so you know, and Dusty always you delivered. can't beat that. <laughs> yeah. no. And so uh, and then right off TV was you know I was there, uh, Scotty Riggs was there, Daphne was there, uh, Sunny Siaki. Um, you know, Dustin was coming in and out. Uh, so, I mean, it was, it mixed that, you know, with the fresh faces coming off WCW with the legendary names he was bringing in. It, it, I've never seen an independent group come along since then that could, that could do it on that level, you know? It, and during that time, is that when you win the NWA Tag Championship, Tag yeah, Team Championship? Yeah. And it, it, do you want to talk about another, I mean, I'll tell you the story, but I'm just going to tell you, it's so hard for me not to get emotional when I tell the story. So if I get a little emotional, just understand. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I have, a, like I said, a twin brother, and it was our goal. I mean, we, 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 you know, we wanted to be the, the Briscoe brothers when we were kids because they were, you know, the tag team champions in Florida Championship Wrestling and uh, or Championship Wrestling from Florida, however you want to say it. And um, so that was always that was like my first big goal as a, as a wrestling fan is, you know. We want to be them, you know. We right. don't want to be like them. We want to be them, you know. And we want to be the NWA World Tag Team Champions, just like they were. And so, uh, and during that time, I can't remember if they actually were the World Champions, but they were the Tag Champions, and we just thought they were the NWA right. World Champions. Right. I know eventually they did become that, but I can't remember if they were right then. But um, so once I got to know Dusty, and I was working with him, and if there was ever a moment that solidified my decision, it was that moment. Is uh, and and still, as far as I know, with NWA, I mean, it still has to be voted on. You know, when they when those the, the world title and the, and, the, and the tag titles, right. you know, actually get changed hands. So um, this is um, December twenty eighth, two thousand one. So it was right after WCW had folded, and I had shared that with him, and just in conversation. I mean, I wasn't asking him to do anything, and uh, and it was just one of those road trips where we were traveling together. So unbeknownst to me, you know. 
he goes behind my back, you know, <laughs> thankfully, and petitions with, with NWA to, because uh, we had a young guy coming on the way up named uh, Jason Sugarman, who looked like, literally looked like an even more muscular Channing Tatum. I mean, he was a guy right. who was really slated to, to, to Dusty make, thought to be, he had it. To be the guy. And, and he probably would have. Um, he had an injury from college where, uh, with his esophagus, and then afterwards, about a year later, after, you know, he and I won the titles, uh, it happened again, and doctors told him he needed to stop because it could be you know something and he had a wife and a little kid so it was a smart move for him but you know that's you know his career ended that quick but so we were in florida we were doing like a three or four day loop in florida and he he, and i was doing the locker room just like i always do and he comes to me and he says raymond i need to talk to you and i knew we were wrestling me and jason were going to wrestle the it was the new heavenly bodies at the time which they are great guys um great friends of mine still today uh and I remember you know, we're going to wrestle on both Friday and, Friday and Saturday night. So uh, I, yeah, I just figured, okay, well, that's great. We'll have great matches. And I, I swear to God, I wasn't even putting two and two together. I didn't even – I was just like, didn't this even is a stop along the way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, there was, no, wouldn't even dare, I wouldn't even dare think of it with a, basically a green rookie, basically, you know, and, um, but look to the part. So um, Dusty pulls me aside in, in, in a private room, just me and him, and he says uh, – and I'm thinking, like, first of all, I'm thinking, God, did I do something wrong? Because you always assume something wrong, you know. Right. And he says, uh, Raymond, he says uh, – he says, you and I got a lot in common, don't we? And I said, I said, yeah, dream. I was thinking, where's this leading, you know? And uh, I still, it hadn't even crossed my mind. And he goes, he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, he goes, well, he goes, after tonight, we'll have one more thing in common. I said, what's that? And he goes, tonight, you become a world champion. And it still gets me every time. Wow. You know, and I said, what? And he goes, I said, and I think I said some choice words. <laughs> like, you got to be, you know, messing with me. And he says, he just looked at me, and he says, nope. And, he said, and I just freaking, we had a moment, you know, we hugged it out. So like I said, man, I can't ever tell it without getting emotional. Yeah. And, um, he's, tear, he's tearing up. Yeah, he's right tearing up, and, uh, you know, and I, I mean, that's, that's just something that it's, it's that powerful to me, you know. And they are icicles, and, um, in case anyone is wondering. Here's the, and here's the great thing about it is, yeah, they're not little ice cubes or anything. <laughs> yeah. But uh, is uh, that, you know, he says to me, he goes, he goes, uh, now he goes, that's the good news. Here's the bad news. <laughs> I was like, what's the bad news? He goes, he goes, he goes, well, there's two things. He goes, one, I need you to do a, about a 45 minute match tonight. And he goes, you know, I need you to carry most of it. And I was like, done. You know, right. <laughs> said, that's not so bad. And then I was like, what else? He goes, well, he goes, then tomorrow night, you guys got to drop them back to them. <laughs> so not only did I win the NW world tag team titles, but I had the shortest run <laughs> probably in history. <laughs> but, but you know what? It doesn't matter one bit. That's what he said. He goes, he goes, hey, he goes, you want to be world champion. You didn't say how long you wanted to be world champion. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I still have a replica of the belt in my, in my home office. And every single time I walk by it, man, it just reminds me of that, that moment. And that, you know, that he, he thought enough of, of me to go to the guys in NWA and say, you, you know, I would like you to make this happen. Right. And, Even just for one. Yeah. Day. And, you know, and, and it was good for, for Turnbuckle. You know, it helped us as a brand, you know, but. But yeah, you know, I'd like to think that that wasn't the main reason he did it. It was just to, you know, make help me, you know, achieve a childhood dream that I never ever thought That's would happen. Not realistically. I, mean, right. I always hoped it would, but you know, especially at that point where I kind of figured I was at that point I was being more of a kind of mentor to the younger guys. I, I was I wasn't thinking right. world titles and stuff at right. that point, you know. And I think that I, I had thought that it had kind of passed me by. But yeah, December twenty eighth, two thousand one. I mean, do you think it's not a special day to me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, as we kind of wind this down a little bit, you've somewhat now, here we are in 2017, you're seeing a bit of a resurgence. You're you're popping up on more independent shows. Yeah. Uh, You know, I know you did some stuff with Chikara, you know, like uh, a a couple times, you know, in the last 10 years. But 
you know, how does that make you feel that, you know, now here you, here you are, you know, you've been wrestling for 30 years and now your, your phone's ringing and, you know, and you're, you're getting a lot more work. You know, um, it's, uh, it's hard to put that into words, but, you know, basically I'll say this is, you know, like I said to the trainees last night, I always say to whatever, when I'm doing a lot of seminars now is I say that, you know, what I found over the years is that the overwhelming majority of people I've run, run across were fans of the Glacier gimmick. There were some harsh critics. <clears throat> I get it. But the thing is, there were some that called it one of the worst gimmicks of all time. I don't think it deserved that criticism. But, uh, but the thing is, is I've, been able to, I've been, had the honor of being Glacier for 21 years. And so for the people that were critics of the gimmick, I always say to them, I win. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and and I think that's a lot of just the power of positive thinking, you know, is not letting the critics, you know, publicly not showing that that, that that bothered me. Did it bother me? Heck yeah, it bothered me some. But I didn't focus on that. I just said, you know what? I've got an opportunity to, to, to do this the best I can. And I know there are fans that really enjoy it and appreciate it. And I think because of the the surgence of pop culture with the big conventions, right. the, the uh, mega cons, drag cons, comic cons, that that's the cool thing now that, you know, that this, thank God I look somewhat like it did when I was on TV, is I can show up in the gimmick and it, and it looks pretty much like it did, you know, 20 years ago. And I think that's great and is these guys that were watching you when they were teenagers, you know, they're now adults that yeah, have money yeah. and they, they want to meet have you. Kids, you yeah. know, and, and I did a, a convention up in, in Maine um, uh, about a year and a half ago, and this little kid, it was the cutest kid in the world, runs up to me and says, I come to the lobby, I'm checking in, he goes, Glacier, where you been? And I'm like, hey, buddy, how you doing? And I'm talking <laughs> to him, and his dad's standing there with this big grin on his face. And so uh, I looked at his dad, and I'm like, and, and you know, he's sitting there, and the kid's actually like looking at my bag, and he's studying my bag, and he says, is, is, is all your costume in here? And I was like, yeah, and I'm like, I go, how does, how does he even know who I am? And he goes, he goes, WWE Network. He goes, he, he doesn't know the reruns. Right. <laughs> he, yeah. he thinks you're on TV right now. I was like, awesome. You know, so I have a whole That's new hilarious. audience. And, um, and I think that is a lot of just the fact that I have refused to, you know, let the critics um, win. Like I said, I mean, and, and, uh, and, and the thing is, it is a cool character. Kanye's character was a cool character. And I so wish that he were, you know, I, I miss him for a lot of reasons. I mean, he was a dear friend. But. The things that he and I could do together now in the indie scene and the conventions right. together, I, I think about it all the time, just selfishly how much fun we would have if he were still here and we could do that stuff um, and with Vandy and, and, and whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just, um, I always say, you know, it's like, you know, it's like fashion, you know, you hang around long enough, you come back in style. So, <laughs> so I'm loving it. I've always loved being Glacier. I've never been embarrassed by it one day. Um, the people who, who, who are critical of it, I, I, I get it. I do get it. But the bottom line is uh, that I'm very proud of it, and I'm, I'm proud of the fact that there's a new era, a new generation of fans that, that I think appreciate it. I mean, I, I know we could keep going, but we've gone, we've gone already. We didn't even get to the Tonga story. It's like, look, oh, sorry, yeah. folks. You're going to have to <laughs> figure. Gonna have to, we're going to have to do this again. Yeah, right. we will. There's so much to, to talk about, uh, but we're going we're gonna to end this one here, I think. There's enough for people to digest and keep going with it. And, and heck, we got a show tonight. So. Yeah, we do have a show tonight. Yeah, that's right. And those boys still got to eat lunch. So. That's right. We have a very important meeting before the show. <laughs> there you that's go. Right. Exactly. We got an important meeting before the show. Glacier knows what's going on. He knows about the meetings. That's right. But, uh, you know, I guess just any final words to your fans or, you know? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I'm glad you allowed me to do that. Um, I, I always say, you know, to, to anyone who is a pro wrestling fan, whether you're a Glacier fan or not, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thanks for doing your part, which is, you know, spending your hard-earned money to come watch us do what we love to do. Because if, and I say this directly to any fan that's listening, if you're not willing to do your part, then people like me don't get to live my dream. You know, so 
wrestling fans are such a vital part of the wrestling business. And I want them to know that, that at least me and, the, and the, the circle of friends I run with in the wrestling business, that we wholeheartedly appreciate everything that you do, even when you're critical of us or when you support us, because that's what makes us push to be even better at what we do so that hopefully you'll keep being motivated to come see us do it. That's, that's amazing. That's awesome. And I, I, and, I think now, you know, after this interview, I think I'm going to have to bring you and Ernest back and have you guys tag up. <laughs> there it is. Stay tuned for AIW Blood Runs Colder. <laughs> yeah. You sometime in 2018. And I will tell you this. Ernest looks the best he's looked maybe ever. I, I, I mean, I keep saying, man, like you got you got some time machine or something. You look younger. <laughs> so I mean, he looks amazing. He looks great. Oh, well, there you go. John Thorne just dropping bombs right here. Yeah, there you go. We're going to have to folks. make it happen now. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'll see him next week. So I'll, I'll well, let him know that it might be happening. I'll wait, okay. wait till I get a couple drinks of me later after the show. I'll be I'll be good. It'll be give booked. Him, yeah. A full-time contract. There it is. <laughs> well, for AIW owner John Thorne, and of course for our guest Glacier, my name is Steve Guy. We hope you guys have enjoyed this episode uh, with our very special guest here on AIW's The Card is Going to Change. We'll talk to you guys next week. Give us a blood runs cold before we go. <laughs> make sure to tune in every time the show comes out so you can make sure to be a part of what these guys are doing. They do a great job. And make sure to tune in before blood runs cold on you. <laughs> there it is. <laughs>